What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the 4040 Vision podcast. I'm your host, Colette Abdallah. And before we jump in, let's get a quick word from one of our sponsors. Hey, guys. Welcome to another edition of the 4040 Vision podcast. I'm your host, Colette Abdallah, and I'm joined today by my fellow host, Sam Dahoud. What's up, man? How's it going? Good. How's it going? It's going well. So today's podcast is going to be about Giannis Antetokounmpo and the comments that he made after uh, he and the Milwaukee Bucks were unceremoniously booted out of the NBA playoffs by Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat in five games. So before we jump into our commentary on it, I'm going to play the full comments from Giannis so we don't take anything out of context and you get to get a quick refresher on what he said. Every year you work, you work towards something, towards a goal, right? Which is to get a promotion, to be able to uh, take care of your family, to be able, I don't know, um, provide the house for them or take care of your parents. You work towards a goal. It's not a failure. It's steps to success, you know? And if you've never, I don't, know, I don't, want, to, I don't want to make it personal. So there's always steps to it, you know? Um, Michael Jordan played 15 years. Won six championship. The other nine years was a failure. That's what you're telling me. No, I'm asking you a question. Yes or no? no I mean, I don't think so, no. Okay, exactly. So why are you asking me that question? It's a wrong question. There's no failure in sports. You know, there's good days, bad days. Some days, some days you are able to uh, be successful. Some days you're not. Some days it's your turn. Some days it's not your turn. And that's what sports about. You don't always win. Some other other people's gonna win. And this year, somebody else is gonna win. Simple as that. We're going to come back next year, try to be better, try to build good habits, try to um, play better, not have a 10-day stretch with uh, playing bad basketball, you know, and hopefully we can win a championship. So 50 years from 1971 to 2021 that we didn't win a championship, it was 50 years of failures. No, it was not. It was steps to it, you know, and we, we were able to win one. Hopefully we can win another one. So, Osama. When you first heard those comments, what was your initial reaction to it? What did your gut tell you when you first heard Giannis go on this little rant? He was speaking from the heart. I think he had just lost, but um, that beat writer, I've, I read The Athletic, and I, he's a regular guy that covers the team. And I think he was just asking Giannis, like, hey, how do you look at this? You had a great year, regular season, and you got bounced pretty easily. You know, I think that's kind of all – sub context to what he's saying and and Giannis spoke from the heart you heard it in the clip and he's just like hey man I don't look at things that way and I thought that was it was beautiful in in that sense now how it got picked up everywhere else is different we'll get into that but I just thought that it was a really genuine answer from him and it was very a very thoughtful passionate answer um and you, it felt very real. I think that that's why it caught so many people's attention is mm-hmm. it was just like a lot of quotables in there that are kind of zen. I think Kenny Smith <laughs> called it a, a TED Talk on TNT. Uh, so it, 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 it was a lot stuff that you could easily eat up regardless of how you define what he said. For sure. It was totally TED Talk type vibes. And I think my my initial reaction to it was a little bit like yours. I was like, okay, it's it's nice that he's not giving – a canned answer, which I think is refreshing about Giannis in general is he's not your typical athlete. That's going to do the whole, you know, we gave 110% and we, we, you know, we'll take it one day at a time type dude. Like he's very honest. Uh, And I think that that sets him apart in general from the rest of the, the NFL or NFL, sorry, NBA athletes or American athletes in general. I think we can talk about that a little bit more and on why he's a little bit different, but I also was like, I, I had a little bit of skepticism when I heard. I was like, uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I was like, this this feels like yeah, he's making an excuse, right? And I, to me, I, I tell this to my wife all the time. Uh, I say there's a difference between an excuse and a reason, you know. And there's there's a reason why things happen, and then there's an excuse. And I think in Giannis's case, he didn't really offer up the reason why they lost, I think it's, it felt like an excuse. Like he's trying to uh, take some of the blame off him. Like, Oh, it's not a failure. It's a step to success. He's deflecting some of the, the negativity that I think uh, was, you know, was rightfully directed towards Milwaukee because they, they didn't meet expectations. 
And then as far as the social media reaction to it, it was pretty much positive. Why do you think that the, the social media reaction was almost overwhelmingly positive? It's it's trying to categorize the other people that came in. I don't know what to call them. The casuals, the normies, the I don't know what to call them that aren't in the sphere of basketball necessarily. I think those are the ones that made this clip go viral. That mm-hmm. are, I don't know. They're maybe they're VC guys. They're whoever you want. It's news anchors that are like, that's right, Giannis. Never consider anything a failure. And that's where, of course, I get skeptical as well. And it's like. Yeah, very nice. I mean, it's a great way to uh, uh, compromise or or rationalize a dis- which what Giannis called a disappointment, or you you came up short. Um, th- that that's where it went. A bunch of people just like t- to eating up these sound bites that they would put on their freaking Instagram or their uh, LinkedIn, more like a yeah, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. I was gonna say <laughs> you go on LinkedIn and you're like, this. I went to this job interview today. And uh, I get, earlier that day, I gave a homeless man a dollar. And when I went to the job interview, the homeless man interviewed me, that type of shit. Exactly. Right. And that's that's the funny thing about this is uh, by the next morning, it already made it to LinkedIn as a motivational post. And <laughs> there's two two of my biggest pet peeves about the Internet. One is when people try to make these false equivalences between sports and are like real lives. The worst is when they say, you know, they use like, for example, Kyrie Irving, the whole situation with him and not getting vaccinated and teams bending over backwards for him or the nets bending over backwards to let him play, whatever. Like, well, you know, I could never get away with that at my real job or I could never get away with, you know, disappearing for two weeks. It's like, well, nobody's paying you millions and millions of dollars to be an accountant. And no one has a picture of you on their wall. Nobody's wearing a Jersey with your name on their back. So that's my, my big thing. So all these people are trying to equate what Giannis is saying to their nine to five is just infuriating <laughs> to me. It's, it doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, and then the, the other thing is the, obviously the LinkedIn shit posting about trying to turn <laughs> everything into a motivational quote or, you know, and it's like, and, and I think that's, that's the, the two things about this in particular that really, really annoyed me. I get it. It's also annoying at the same time. And I, I look at Giannis though, and there's, it's, it's kind of funny to kind of, or interesting to analyze this because English is his second language, right? So he's sure, obviously sure. improved it quite a bit through the years. And when you ask him a question like that, you know, the way he digests it, that or, and then interprets it to himself is failure sounds like it was absolute dog shit. Like that's how he's hearing failure. And it was like, this was an unmitigated disaster. And sure, maybe in some contexts it is if once he loses to an 18, but he's hearing it like shit got shoveled in your face and you suck. Like that's how he's kind of processing the word failure. And he's like, hell no, because you know, he's, he's literally taking the literal translation translation. And then you look at where this guy came from. He doesn't think anything he does is a failure. I read his book by Marin Fader, which is an excellent autobiography about him and his story. And he came up hungry. He They would buy items on the street for one or two euros and then try to flip them for three or four euros just to find food to eat. So in no way in his imagination does he think anything he does in that translation is a failure. I think that's why he used the word disappointment because he was trying to put an accurate definition on how he's interpreting and of course i mean there's obviously some of him some excuse making uh, but i get why he answered it that way and i get why he elaborated there, there's a lot mm-hmm. of story there to this guy and there's no way you can tell him that anything he does is a failure he's just like hey i'm great i came up from nothing there's no way i'm a failure anywhere for sure and i think that that's the difference in probably how Someone else might have responded to that uh, because, like you said, he's obviously not a failure. He came from nothing. And I think the, that's the issue is that he took it really personal, right? So we're, I think we're all pretty familiar with his story. Like you said, they came up from nothing. He grew up on the streets of Greece, you know, selling random things. If you've ever been to that part of the world, to, you know, the, the European side of the Mediterranean, there's a ton of African immigrants that are doing the same thing, you know, hawking random 
uh, gear, stuff like that on the on the beaches. So you you see that the struggle that he came from, and I can understand that. And I think because he took it personal is that's why he answered it that way. And it's like you said, he said obviously he is not a failure in no way, shape, or form. You know, from everything that he's done, everything that he's accomplished, given where he's from. But I do think it's fair to say that his season was a failure because of the way it ended, right? Is that fair to say at least? Yeah, in terms of basketball aspirations, the season itself is a failure. The coach failed, the team failed. They won 16 games. We don't have to break down the basketball too much necessarily. But just in terms of goal setting, and it's not they're not too far removed from winning a championship, and they were really close last year with the Middleton injury. They were really close to going back to the finals too. Um, yeah, this this season was as a collective organization, like Milwaukee Bucks organization, given how loaded they were, it was a failure. Yeah. And a disappointment. For sure, for sure. And so there's there's two parts of his comments that I wanted to break down. The first one was when he said, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks went 50 years between winning a championship. Was every one of those years a failure? And the obvious answer is no. But there's a caveat to it, right? It's like if you're a team, I think I think this is the the crux of the argument is if you're a team that's going into a season with no expectations, if you are, you know, you're in the midst of a rebuild, you just had the number one pick, for example. You know, there's a couple examples we can use from the NBA this year. The first is like the Orlando Magic, right? They had the first overall pick. They were in the mix until the very end, but they missed out on the playoffs and the play-in. Is their season a failure? No. If anything, it's a success given the expectations. And then there's kind of a more complex answer of like the Sacramento Kings, right? They came into the season. Most people probably had them as a play-in team. They end up the third seed, but they lose in seven games in the first round. So was their season a failure? You say, I don't know. What do you say before I answer? For Sacramento, the the expectations thing is uh, it's it's a good way to, evaluate performance right um because there's success and failure so i think from an organizational standpoint if you go 50 years there's different uh eras of ownership i don't know if it was the same owner for 50 years or not let's just say it was two to three ownership groups over the course of 50 years failing that many times organizationally is a failure to find success and find Mm -hmm. Uh, continuous success so that's I think that's breakdown one for Sacramento 16 years without making the playoffs is a start it's a a successful start to a new coaching era and a new youthful core um, that they traded for last year and they're making a push this year so um, given how this podcast might age over time uh, let's just say Sacramento going 16 years without making the playoffs I have relatives that aren't 16 years old Uh, that's a success yeah, I would say it's a success, but there's also another caveat as I think as the season goes on, your expectations change and your expectations shift. So if you ask the Kings in September, hey, you're going to win 48 games, uh, but you're going to lose in the first round. They probably think, all right, we're like a 5-6 seed because that's generally <laughs> what happens when you win 48 games. So we lose to the, to the in the first round. But then if you ask them in April, hey, you're the three seed. You get home court advantage. Regardless of who your opponent is, you're going to lose in the first round. Is that a failure? I think they would say yes because of the shifting expectations. Yes or no? Yeah, I think that that helps. It, it, hope, right? There's hope that, 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 that can change things. It's the hope that kills you, right? Um, I think I want to throw a different example at you, though. So sure. uh, Arsenal, owned by Stan Kroenke, uh, had when I don't know how long Kroenke's on the team that I'm not aware of, but they had Arsene Wenger from the early 2000s through I don't know like three years ago, and Arsenal was a perennial top four team the entire time. I think they won one league title, and they went a pretty long time without winning a, a, any silverware whatsoever. But they were in the Champions League every year because they were a top four team in the English Premier League, and f- from an organizational standpoint, some might say that's enough. The Champions League revenue is amazing. Uh, we make a, a run out of the group stage from the fall of that year into February, March, April. 
and that makes revenue for the club. And even though they're not winning silverware, from an organizational standpoint, yes, we're failing to get trophies, but we're successfully hitting our numbers because we're making uh, we're performing in the domestic league, and then we're performing in Europe, and we're getting that revenue from being playing in European competition too. What do, what do you say to that? I say they were failing, being based on the expectations, right? <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's not fair, but the thing is, what that's one of the things that about sports is that ultimately it's binary, right? It's like, did you win? Yes or no. You can obviously add caveats to that. You can add the expectations, but at the end of the day, it's a very simple question: like, did you win? Yep. No, they did not. They were in the top four all the time. They were in the run for, you know, the, the league cup, the FA cup, things like that. They were never serious champions league or premier league contenders. They were in the mix, but they weren't a team that were, you know, ever really picked for that. So I think they, they failed in that sense. Obviously the, the checkbooks and the, the bottom line and all that was, was in the green because they were doing well financially, but they failed. And then, you bring up Arsenal. So this season, going into this, going into the season, I don't think they were picked to be probably not even in the top four. And it looks like, I mean, we're we're recording the podcast on May third. There's a couple about five games left in the Premier League season, but more than likely, they will finish second, despite leading the table for most of the season. So going in, it's just like the Kings, right? Going into the season, you're like, oh yeah, top finishing second, that'd be great. But then you ask them a month ago, hey, you're going to finish second. Did you fail? I think they would say yes, right? Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, before I f- forget this thought, there's the spending part too. And I think that across all sports, that's important. Arsenal spent a lot of money. You go to the NBA, everyone's paying extra. I think Milwaukee's paying a little bit extra, uh, just for example, um, to, to try and continue to compete. So I think I agree with you. I think that uh arsenal just for example if you know any arsenal fans they were furious for years because they're spending all this money they have all this amazing talent they're not winning a damn thing uh so i think i think that's also it's just for context for anyone that just so we're outside of the nba that's another example of continuous performance but also failure from the fans like from media from fans from those that aren't in the locker room that's failure and i'm sure that those who have played for arsenal through the years would say that i'm sure arson wenger himself in retrospect would say who was the manager of arsenal for a long time that yeah we we failed that's my arson arson wenger french <laughs> your french accent yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then so the, the the second part of the quote that i wanted to break down is when i think this is a fatal error on Giannis's part is he brings up one of the most insane serial winners in the history of the NBA. And he asked the question, you know, Michael Jordan played 15 years. He won six championships. Were the other seven seasons a failure? I think, I think, I think Michael Jordan would say yes. I mean, I think he would say every season that I did not win an NBA championship, maybe with the exception of like the first couple of years. But if he's going into Boston, he's getting smacked around by the Celtics. Even if they're the all-time Celtics, that's a failure to him. If he's losing to the bad boy Pistons, that's a failure to him. If he's losing to uh, you know Shaq and Penny because he came back from playing baseball for six months, that's a failure to him, right? Like it, it was just funny that he brought up like a dude that's a total sociopath when it comes to winning and and asking that question because I think Michael Jordan would say absolutely I failed. What do you think? Yeah, a million percent. Michael Jordan would would never say that that was, you know, that was one, that was a progress. That was a stepping stone. That was another year for us to to get better every day. Like some answer Ryan Tannehill would give you, you know, like that's Michael Jordan is not, is not a, a middling quarterback or, or guard, right? But I get where Giannis was going. It was a fatal error. I agree because of who Jordan is knowing that he, like you said, perfectly said, a serial winner. I get where he was going, where he's trying to say, here's a, a person you all regard as the greatest. He also lost more than he won. If you add, you know, nine or, or seven is greater than six or whatever the number is. Um, it, what's interesting about that, though, and this is the beauty of failure that I, I wanted to talk about today, is that failure is what elevates people. 
Like Jordan, for the first few years, was getting his ass kicked by these amazing Celtics teams and that physical Pistons team. But what did it do to him? There's footage of the offseason of Jordan pumping iron. He's like, okay, I need to be stronger. Mm -hmm. And he's in the weight room. And that's documented that he was in the weight room. And he didn't fail again after that summer where, <laughs> where they get Horace Grant and all those amazing things happen and he's bulky and no one can stop him. That failure with, with the greats, it helps them ele elevate on the, on the highest stage and they don't, then they do like, I'm not going to fail again. Giannis himself uh, had plenty of, of uh, playoff burnouts until in spite of his coach, elevated on the biggest stage and put up a 50-point game in a closeout game. Mm -hmm. That's inc incredible. LeBron James had plenty of uh, playoff disappointments, and that's why uh, he went to Miami and he was like, I'm not going to fail anymore, and he worked on his game and he developed a post-up game. Uh, so th that failure has brought out brilliance in some of the greatest athletes of our time, and you can go across – sports and find these examples but that's something i i find fascinating about this is i don't and ethan strauss uh on his Substack, i thought the title of the article was perfect don't rob us of failure we need that don't turn it into a linkedin story about how it's okay fail and then come back and burn the world down the next year because you're pissed off 100 percent. i couldn't have said it better myself and i mean there's the, the famous michael jordan quote where he says uh, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. So that that's a LinkedIn quote for you. That's a picture. That's a that's a real quote you could put on your wall. <laughs> and it, it's it's everything that you need to know, right? And I think uh, another serial winner, right, the greatest winner in the history of the NFL and Tom Brady, I think he'll tell you, just judging from that man in the arena documentary is he, he seems to, and I, I think you might feel the same way is he seems to remember the losses way more than he remembers the wins. Right. I mean, he talks about the win. Oh, you know, we won the Super Bowl it was great. But when he talks about losing to uh, when he talks about losing to the giants in those Super Bowls, when he talks about losing to the Eagles, there's like this, like, manic energy that you see in his eyes where it's like that is why at 44 45 years old however he was when he won the, however old he was when he won that last super bowl it's like he was just as hungry as he was you know 10 years ago when he was 35 and even he'll tell you i think he said it either in the books or in the man of the arena is like the the main thing that that propelled him in the second half of his career wasn't the fact that you know oh i just want to be the best quarterback of all time it's like when he blew out his ACL, he decided that that again was kind of not really a failure, but you can see how it could be construed as a failure because he didn't play that season. They didn't do anything. And that was his motivation for doing all the crazy stuff, doing the TB12 method and changing his body and all that. And I think that's again, like we said with Ethan Strauss, with, with all this other stuff, it's like the power of failure as motivation is probably the most powerful form of motivation there is in sports yeah and and, and i think it's funny I, I remember watching that tom brady documentary and you can just tell before they turn the camera on for his answer he's probably mother bleeping the giants under his breath like oh, i can't believe that should happen i feel like that's right before they switched on that manic energy is apparent um i think you know i i don't want to lose sight of this too from Giannis's standpoint, because he's had some playoff disappointments, failures, whatever you want to call them, uh, is he was seeing a sports uh, psychologist. His Eric Neem, who covers the team, mentioned that, I think, on, on the Dan Lebitard show. I, I remember uh, in Steph Curry's profile by Matthew Sullivan at Rolling Stone, Steph Curry was seeing therapy because of the pressure and the, the fear of failure, which is, um, I think that's the inspiring part. That, that makes it so powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Giannis himself, what is it, a couple weeks ago before the, the playoffs said that he was on the verge of retiring at some point, which I think gives you a fascinating insight into his mentality of like, you know, maybe I've made it. Maybe I don't need this anymore. I don't need this pressure. I don't need this, you know, insane 
load that I have to carry where I have carry like the weight of a, a city's hopes on my shoulders. Uh, but so one guy I think we didn't mention was uh, Dirk Nowitzki, who I think is probably the closest parallel to Giannis in terms of not maybe not the upbringing because, you know, he was a highly touted basketball prospect and all that. But just the same idea, like a foreign player coming into the NBA with little to no expectations. He's like a mid first round pick. Uh, but he ends up after several high profile, embarrassing playoff failures where he you know, lost to the We Believe Warriors as the one seed despite winning 67 games. You know, after that, he went into the outback. He went into the Australian outback for like a month in hiding because he was so consumed by the failure. And then he comes out of it on the other side. And four years later, he wins an incredible title against one of you know the greatest players of all time. And with, with Giannis, it's a very similar thing, right? He won a title with the team that he came up with, with no other real superstars. And I think Nowitzki, if you ask him, hey, did you fail against the Warriors in 2007? He would absolutely say yes. And I think it's okay to say that, right? Yeah, absolutely. He'd be like, damn, I, we had a shot that year. We were great. And Don Nelson killed us. Ha <laughs> ha. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, 100%. Dirk is a great example. Um, and he had that in that 2011 series against Miami, a series like FU to him when he played. He didn't like how he was being mocked when they were doing boxing on the side on the sideline, pretending to do a little pad work. He was pissed because he's like, I'm not going to fail and I'm going to punk these guys. And he didn't even have to go to a game seven to do it it's the that that there's an anger to it too there's not just fear of failure and you're worried about it there's there's anger competitive anger i mean to be to be what these people do they're a small percentage of the population you'll have to be a complete competitive psychopath uh to to play this i mean i'm using a clinically incorrect term but you have to be nuts to do this <laughs> at least because, a little bit yeah yeah you have to be not like steph curry as as cuddly as some people think he is he's on the court yelling i'm him he's mocking the other teams like the beam he's doing the night night because he's a competitive crazy person all these people are what the, the last dance was 10 hours of it saying Michael Jordan's very competitive. He's very he's more competitive than you are. Okay, you'll never be more competitive than him. He was the most competitive of, of all competitors. He's insanely competitive to the point where he's punching teammates and doing all kinds of stuff. And there's like, I I, I see a lot of the the same energy from uh, in Steph that we saw in, from Jordan in that last dance where he's you know he has a cigar in his mouth and he's waving the baseball bat around and he's talking about, Oh, it's easy to run your mouth when you're, when you're winning, but you know, it's a little harder when you're losing. And then, you know, you look at Steph Curry in game seven against Sacramento, he's smiling on the court. He's doing like some antics. He misses a couple free throws. Then he hits one and he like pumps himself up sarcastically. And he's just totally in the moment and not phased by the moment at all. Uh, so the other thing I wanted to talk about was, I think we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but it's a simple question, right? Is like, is failure in sports only determined by expectations? What What do you think about that? Whoa. Is it only determined by expectations? I took statistics, brother, and you, anything that says only in the question is false. Um, <laughs> it's, and I, <laughs> sure. I, okay. But well, I get, they, expand on that. Yeah. Yeah. It can't only be. I think it's uh, it can be congruent to that where you can have expectations and and if the expectations are low it's all right and like we'll be and then you get that quarterback spiel where we'll be better next year this was a building block blah 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 um if expectations are high shit we didn't hit expectations we failed to meet expectations uh but without expectations um in general i think there's i think there's just other ways of positioning it they they go hand in hand uh, you can evaluate it on different levels, uh, organizational level, a team level, uh, a player level. Um, and those can just be goal setting. They can be just kind of, I don't know, the the expectation covers a lot. It's doing a lot of carrying there. It's doing a lot of weight. But you can call sure. it all kinds of things. But I think at, at, it's fair to say at the top there's expectations and then there's um, 
there's uh i don't know i think you got me maybe it is expectations maybe i'm wrong i I do (laughs) i keep i've been saying that it's not the same but it's not only but i can't say it any better right now (laughs) it's maybe majority or it's it's mostly determined by the expectations because of all the examples we talked about with you know the magic or the rockets or some of these other teams like they they didn't fail this year they did fail because they didn't make the playoffs but based on their expectations, they had the goals and they set out to to accomplish these goals, which is to be somewhat competitive, but still tank for Victor Wembanyama. So they didn't fail. The Kings, you know, the Grizzlies definitely failed because they were the two seed and they had higher expectations. But yeah, you were going to say something. Yeah, just before I forget, I was where I was trying to get at is there's the expectation side, and then there's that where Giannis was coming from that kind of the the context that we don't know and how the individual um, evaluates themselves. So there's general expectations and then there's like, there's no way in hell I can ever fail. I think that's a side we can't ignore that, that we mentioned at the top where he was coming from. And I'm sure there's others that feel that way. That'll tell you, yeah, failure, blah, blah, blah. But also you can't tell mm-hmm. me shit. I didn't fail. I'm great. Exactly. I think that that's one of the cruxes of my argument is that, there's a difference between experiencing failure and being a failure. And there's, you know, despite the binary nature of sports and winning and losing, like just because you lost doesn't make you a loser, right? All those years that, that Lionel Messi, for example, I think he's a, he's a pertinent example because he finally climbed the mountaintop. It's like all those years that he failed to win a major international trophy, that he failed to win the World Cup, didn't make him a failure, but he clearly failed and that motivated him. Right. And that made his story all the more compelling. And I think with Giannis, maybe it was a, a language barrier thing. Maybe it was, he was just frustrated because obviously he was pissed off that they got eliminated. And it was a second time in a row that this guy asked him the question, but again, being losing and failing does not make you a loser or a failure. And obviously with Giannis, like we said a million times, he's not a failure in any way, shape, or form, but he has experienced it many times on the court. And I think the the really – one of the other points I take from this is, or another reminder is just the amazing like power of redemption and the comeback story in sports and what makes things so compelling, right? We use Steph Curry as an example. The 2015 title, it was it was great. Don't get me wrong, right? It was amazing that they won that championship. It was the first title in 40-plus years for the Warriors. But it wasn't nearly as compelling as the 2021 title or 2022 title because there wasn't that much failure that preceded it, right? It wasn't There wasn't no 2016 embarrassment. Uh, he didn't miss a season because he got hurt. There was no clay angle where he misses two years and comes back. So – even with Giannis, right, that's what makes his title so impressive is because it came off the back of some really embarrassing failures in the in the NBA. What do you think? Absolutely. There's a, there's that sweetness to redemption that's so powerful where there's a track record of some – like if Philadelphia were to win the title this year, James Harden would shed so many criticisms where he was finally able to – get to something that's been so elusive, which one is unfortunately being actually good in the playoffs. Sorry, buddy. Love you. And then the actual, like get winning the whole thing. Um, so there's, there's a, they're overcoming the odds too. There's exceeding expectations and overcoming the odds. One of the greatest examples of overcoming the odds was Muhammad Ali against George Foreman, where George Foreman was this menacing, just behemoth of a boxer who everyone that stepped in the ring with him walked out unconscious. Basically he just beat the hell out of, there's a funny George Foreman joke that was like, which one's the referee? Cause I'm going to kill the other motherfucker. That's what's going to happen. That was the George Foreman. He was just a maniacal, uh, crazy person that punched himself out, uh, was willing to punch himself out to win a fight. And Muhammad Ali went in there and everyone counted him out. Like, how are you going to beat this guy? He's a big puncher. You've been dropped before. And he was the only person in the building that believed in himself. Literally the only person. I was like, I'm going to win this fight. And it was became prophetic. It became prolific. He spoke it into existence and executed a beautiful game plan. And it, it's a, it's a huge part of his legacy, overcoming the odds. So there's 
there's the the sweetness to redemption there's the it's kind of almost like a uh, if we were to put an order of operations on it right there's like uh failure expectations fear of failure uh redemption being against the odds overcoming the odds these are all like a collective beauty to failure and then success right is that is that fair for sure. And it's it's awesome that you brought up Muhammad Ali because there's another quote that that he uh, that's attributed to him. He says, only a man who knows what it is like to be defeated can reach down to the bottom of his soul and come up with the extra ounce of power it takes to win when the match is even. And Muhammad Ali, he's considered by most, it's almost consensus as the greatest boxer of all time, one of the greatest athletes of all time. But he's lost. He lost a few times. He's, I think, 56 and 5 in his career. He missed out. He lost in life when he missed out on, on three years of his prime uh, because of a, a principal stance against the Vietnam War. Uh, but he was able to bounce back. And despite the losses, despite the failures, he's still considered the greatest of all time. And I think you can contrast him with someone like Floyd Mayweather, who is 50 and 0. That's his whole brand. Right. And people think he's one of the best boxers of all time, but I don't think he's spoken in the same glowing terms that Ali is because there's no narrative that you can attach to it. There's no storyline that you can attach to his career in the same way. Like he just kind of did his thing. He fought people. He won. He did his whole thing. You know, I don't know. Maybe you attribute to his style or not, but I think that's a good case study in the power of of failure versus just, you know, always, always winning. You know, and I think that that makes a, a big difference in the way we look at guys and the way that we uh, read their story and their narrative. It's there's a legacy aspect of it that adds to the legend of Ali, where he has probably arguably the greatest legacy of all time. Like after he passed away, so many other quotes came out that had been buried in history. And you're like, man, this guy was amazing. Everything he said that came out of his mouth was beautiful. It was gold. It was all kinds of things. And he fought with a bravado and a confidence that was beautiful to watch. There's just, you, you can almost say no wrong as his legacy has aged through the years. Floyd Mayweather, just in terms of context, like not as likable, uh, has a, a domestic Definitely abuse. <laughs> he did time for domestic abuse. Like there's, in some cases, when you're trying to talk about who the best is and we, that, that's different kind of hair splitting, that matters to how you remember that person. And at least in the moment now, I don't know how Floyd, remember, Floyd Mayweather is remembered 50 years from now like Ali. But at least now we're like, yeah, that guy's kind of a jerk. Like, yeah, he was a good boxer, but, eh, you know. Um, what I don't want to forget, because we're about Giannis, is, you know, one thing about Giannis that I think what made his legend so wonderful when he did overcome the odds and win the title is there was only like three names mentioned, right? When he won the title, it was like, hey, he's the last person since like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and like Will Chamberlain to average X, Y, and Z in the finals. Like he was putting up big boy numbers in the finals. And I, I think in the closeout game, 14 of 17 from the free throw line. And he's like a serial terrible free throw shooter, but he's like in this game, in this moment, I'm not failing and Milwaukee's winning the title. Like he has it in him. So... Uh, it, it's, it, it, I think that what makes this conversation so fun is it's so interesting to bounce around and look at these examples and look at what's happened in the past and even with Giannis as the individual. And there's just so many interesting moments of brilliance that have defined who this guy is and the other greats. Mm -hmm. You brought up that 50-point that game. So there's been six other guys that have done it, and it's almost like a who's who of the greatest of all time. Uh, it's LeBron. Michael Jordan, Jerry West, Elgin Baylor, Rick Barry, and Bob Pettit. Those are the other six names that have scored 50 or more points in the NBA Finals. So he's in that conversation. Uh, and you talk about how likable he is, how personable he is, the fact that he gives a lot of uh, unique and special answers. So there was another thing that people brought up about his comments, like if James Harden said it, if, uh, I don't know, even Kevin Durant, made these same comments how do you think they would have been perceived is just the fact that he won a title a few years ago give him a little bit of extra cachet and credit here 
Yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, winning buys you a lot of credibility. You can definitely say a bit more without the ridicule. If James Harden said, he'd be like, yeah, okay, man, whatever. How about that two for nine without Kawhi Leonard a few years ago? How, where was that then? You know, um, I, I think, uh, you know, I think he's just incredibly likable. He doesn't have too many of the, like, he's not on the social media. Uh, he doesn't have like the Kevin Durant criticism. There was one of my favorite uh, isolated sound bites is Giannis talking about how he's like, I've been through it all. I've been eliminated in the playoffs. I, I don't remember what else he said, but I just remember him saying, I airballed a free throw. There's nothing that scares me. It was like almost, to be honest, Ali-esque where he's like, or even Mike Tyson where there's no one that can stop me. I'm, I'm Alexander the Great where he's just like, I, I'm, nothing could stop me. I'm amazing. Like what, what, what worse can happen to me at this point? I thought that was wonderful. Yeah, there's no fear in him. I think that that's what separates him from a lot of guys. And, you know, his free throw struggles is one thing where it's it's a part of his game. It's something that he's tried to fix, but he just hasn't been able to. And, and that's fine. And he accepts it. He's not as scared of the moment. Um, he's not going to bend Simmons and turtle up um, and do that sort of thing. <laughs> Failure. Um, you know, before you, you know, you holy shit, you mentioned Jerry West. Okay. What did he lose? There like you go. Yeah. Eight times in the finals. Like you asked Jerry West, if you're like, yeah, you're damn right. I failed a million times. He won finals MVP in a series he lost. His nickname is Mr. Clutch <laughs> because from a legacy standpoint, he was prolific in the playoffs and in the finals. And even though Mr. Clutch doesn't really uh, uh, scream out when you say he lost eight times in the finals or however many times it was, that's that's amazing. That's the, that's the success part. That's the redemption part. That's the finally overcoming, ah, I lost so many damn times, but I got there. Yeah, and he failed way more often than he won, uh, but he's a freaking logo. So <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, that, that, I think that puts a, a little, a, a good bow on it. Another thing that that's really bothered me about this whole uh, Giannis situation with the comments and all that was the the Nike ad that came out shortly after. Uh, did you see the Nike ad, by the way? Always forward. <laughs> exactly right. And what was funny about it? So for those of you who haven't seen it, you could probably just go search on Twitter, Giannis Nike, and there's a quote. They quote Giannis, and they say, "There's no failure in sports." It steps to success. Regardless of the outcome, there's always a re reward ahead. And the hashtag says always forward. And it's Giannis looking up at in the rafter, looking up to the rafters, probably during a national anthem or something. And it says always forward. Just do it. So aside from them not doing a full ad campaign when he won a title, did this bother you as much as it bothered me? Yeah, it's like opportunistic corporate bullshit right uh, th this is uh nike showing really to be honest it's a stumbling in nike's usually they're great at marketing and ads and this was just a really lazy attempt to capitalize on you know the ted talk quote from Giannis. and maybe in their own mind they i don't know how i don't know what's going on inside of their, the heads at nike if they were like man we did mess that shit up or if they're not even really that self-aware and they're like oh this would be great. Let's just run this ad. It'll be genius. We no the the what are their the Nike signature line the Zoom freaks, right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll sell some Zoom freaks if we just put this picture of Giannis with his quote about uh, failure and say always forward. It's because I mean another Nike athlete, Kobe Bryant, and they didn't even use this that effectively. Uh, I, I came across this video. When, when I searched for this uh, to see what other information was out there about Nike and Giannis, there's a Kobe Bryant quote where he said, what's failure? It doesn't exist. It's a figment of your imagination, which is another, another extreme athlete's way of saying like, I'm going to, I do what it takes to win. Failure is not a thing. They didn't really execute it that well. They just had a couple quotes, put a picture up. I thought it was just really lazy. It was super lazy, and the graphic looked like it was you couldn't make it in Canva or something, or uh, for free <laughs> on on Instagram, like when you're posting a story. So it was lazy. It wasn't very creative. Uh, didn't look like it took a ton of effort. But what the whole thing in general is is curious to me. It's like the way that Nike treats different 
signature athletes is is really interesting. I don't know why what it is about Giannis in particular that has them treating him like like a second class citizen, you know, <laughs> with like if if I remember correctly, Nike did a whole ad rollout after LeBron won in the bubble, which is it's fine. LeBron is your signature athlete. They did another rollout when Kevin Durant won his first championship with the Warriors. They had the the shoes, I think even the, the shoes had something about doubters. They listed a bunch. Was it accomplishments or something like that? I forget exactly what it was. But there was a whole ad campaign wrapped around this. And then, as I said in, in the open uh, to the segment, there was no ad campaign when Giannis won the title, even though it's a very, very easy narrative to paint, right? The kid from the shoeless kid from Greeks, the barefoot kid from Greece becomes the Greek freak and wins the NBA championship. It's like... Their narrative points are all there right in front of you. So what is it about Giannis that has Nike treating him, again, kind of like a second-class citizen among their their signature athletes? It's a great question. I mean, do they – is he their only non-American athlete? I mean, I'm not going to accuse them of doing this because he's not American, but is that a trend that we're seeing that they nailed no, they it with? Have, uh, well, uh, Luca is signed to Jordan brand, but it's basically the same thing. I mean, it's the same yeah. entity. So he hasn't no, done anything yet except, you know, pull off a couple funny game sevens. He hasn't done anything. Yeah, and I think he probably has a higher profile than than Giannis does in, in within Nike. It seems like it at least. Maybe because he's a big man, but I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a, I I thought after he posted that like fifty piece Chick-fil-A video the next day for sure the ad was coming, that they were gonna I mean Giannis basically promoted it himself, how great it was by ordering 50 chicken nuggets uh, through an Instagram reel or something the next day. They didn't do anything. And I think that's, it's a, it's a huge disrespect to ignore that. And I, I don't know, I think Nike, they've, they, they do the right thing usually, you know, like the, there was the Kyrie anti-Semitism stuff and they made a judgment call and were like, this is bad for business. We'll get rid of this guy. Um, the irony of, of that, of course, just on the Kyrie thing, the irony of that is they essentially replaced him with John Morant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were with Bone Thugs and Harmony. Yeah, yeah I within know, I a understand. few months, there's a, a picture of Jaw like shirtless in a strip club with a gun. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe not the right judgment call to replace Kyrie with Jaw. But anyway, sorry, continue. <laughs> it, it's, 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 it's hard to say. They have these iconic, you know, Jordan commercials and – it's a, it's a funny stumbling block. Um, it's just fun for us to laugh at. And in, in, in the grand scheme of things, I don't think it changes anything. You know what it does remind me of is when Steph Curry, uh, they lost Steph Curry to Under Armour, that which was funny. There was that old Ethan Strauss story that came out quite a while ago when he was still writing for the Warriors mm-hmm. about how Steph used to wear Nikes. He didn't have a signature shoe yet. They offered him a new deal for two million dollars and then they went to a hotel close by oracle arena for a presentation and then the presentation still had uh, a picture of kevin uh, kevin durant's name on one of the powerpoint slides the guy given the presentation kept calling him stefan which really annoyed them uh and then they have this kevin durant slide on there it's like you these this is lazy as shit this is disrespectful too at and then they went that you can you can you can say okay they just they uh they didn't appreciate the potential of Steph Curry. I think that's a different than having one of your signature athletes win one of the more impressive titles because of without the super team and all that and just not having anything. Not even in the summer that I recall. Like you said they didn't do anything about the 50 piece, they didn't do anything about him overcoming the odds or anything like that. So well, I think it's what it really two different did categories. Was... Yeah, yeah. I, it's just a funny mistake. I just couldn't think of another Nike mistake uh, off the top of my head. It did create a completely unnecessary rival in Under Armour, another multi-billion dollar entity that they didn't have to deal with. And now Under Armour exists simply because of that. And Steph, he, he resurrected Under Armour. He made them relevant and just like he did with the Warriors. So that's just what he does. Um <laughs> So the other thing we wanted to touch on is, you know, in the part of the fallout of the uh, failure that wasn't really a failure is that uh, coach Mike Budenholzer was fired 
by the Milwaukee <laughs> Bucks. Um, it came out that uh, at I believe at some point during the series, uh, his brother had passed away in a car accident. They didn't show any details of how close he was with his brother and all that, but we can assume that it had affected his his mental state. But in general, I mean, it's funny that Giannis is saying it's not a failure, but clearly the Milwaukee Bucks fired the coach because it was a failure. So do you, what do you think drove the decision-making behind, you know, firing coach, Bud? was it specifically the series? Was it a collection of things? What do you think it was? Yeah, I think it's just a, a, a built up reputation of failing to adjust and then having chance. What we talked about it earlier, expectations, championship expectations and failing to meet championship expectations and coach bud as as brilliant of offensive mind as he is kind of i think one they won that championship in spite of coach bud yet really honest elevating himself and coach bud really just playing him every minute possible was the only solution he had aside from still playing drop coverage against shooters and all this other shit that he fails to adjust to it's it's fine in the regular season to dare guys to beat you from the three-point line but in the playoffs Guys make three-point shots. They just do. It's the finals. They're going to make three-point shots. And they, they fail to do that time and time again. Hell, they lost that game, the closeout game, because he took out Brooke Lopez, and then Jimmy Butler did a wonderful Golden Tate-Jordan push-off at the end to for that little alley-oop. It happens. And I think that it, it was just time for him to go. I think that they're like, we're just going to move on from this guy. We could do mm-hmm. better. Uh, with our championship aspirations. Let's change things up a bit and find someone maybe the group will listen to. Yeah, and it's it's fair to say that Mike Budenholzer is an elite regular season coach. He's He took the Bucks from, I mean, during the Jason Kidd era, they were winning, you know, 40 games, 44 games, 42 games, whatever. And he did the same thing in Atlanta. He took a compilation of talent, some, you know, players that were basically greater than the sum of their parts, turned them into a 65-win team. They were the team that got – I think they got swept by LeBron and the Cavs in the in the postseason, but they were one of the best regular season teams during that, that little stretch. And I think as we talked about with the expectations that have come with, with Budenholzer and that whole era is I think it's probably started like the 2018-19 season where they were the number one seed. They end up losing to Toronto in the conference finals after going up 2-0. They lose four straight to, to Toronto. The next season, it's the bubble, but I think they got uh, swept by Miami again in the bubble. And then, of course, they win the finals in spite of him, as you said, basically saved by the the toenail on KD's left foot from losing, that, uh, losing in the semis. They catch a break by having to play Atlanta in the conference finals over Philadelphia. We did a whole pot on that and why that happened. And then since then, you know, they lose to, I mean, uh, Boston ended up getting to the finals, but you know, he caught a break maybe because of the Middleton injury. But I think in general, despite winning the finals, Budenholzer failed to meet expectations, you know, four out of the other, you know, four out of the five years that, that he was the coach. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. And I think I know where he's going next. I think life is coming full circle. He's going to once again replace Stepping Stone head coach Jason Kidd in Dallas and become the head coach of Dallas like he replaced him in Milwaukee. That's a good job. I mean, if, yeah, if you're yeah. if there, I think there's a number of teams. I think a lot of people have come out and said, like, if you were a young team on the come up, he's a great coach for that. And you think about a team like Orlando Maybe I mean Cleveland just uh, re-upped with with uh, Bickerstaff, so that's probably not happening. But there's a number of teams that are like on the cusp of becoming contenders, and I think he would be a good coach for that. But yeah, it's it's unfortunate. I mean, he just has this reputation of having this like dumb look on his face as the world is collapsing around him in the in the playoffs and not doing anything about it, not calling timeouts when he needs to, not making the right adjustments. You know, maybe it's unfair that he maybe some of the criticism is unfair, but I think if you have a transcendent player like Giannis, one finals appearance in five years, two conference finals appearances five years, it's not, you know, especially with LeBron out of the conference, I think it's uh it's definitely falling short of expectations. So again, I know we're not in the business of predictions, but 
who makes sense for this Milwaukee job? Is there somebody out there that you think is a, is a good fit to take them over the top? I'm, I'm seeing Nick Nurse a lot right now. He's a great defensive coach, uh, which would, I mean, it would, I don't know how different it would look than before. Maybe just Nick Nurse is willing to throw the kitchen sink on a nightly basis in terms of schemes. So we know that he would show a lot of desperation schematically. Uh, Kenny Atkinson will be out there, I'm sure, after this season. Uh, there was another name I heard. It's escaping me, but there'll, there'll be a few interesting names in the in the running for that job. You think they opt for a young assistant, or do you think they opt for a more veteran head they'll, coach? They'll take a vet. Frank Vogel is the other one I heard, who also great defensive coach can manage big time locker room egos. He has championship experience. Frank Vogel actually would make a lot of sense too. Yeah. He was uh, much maligned in LA for some reason, but he did win the bubble title for whatever that's worth. Casualty of injury. I have a yeah. funny, funny Mike Bolden holder looks like the, so the Levitard show does these like, does this person in sports look like X? So here I got two for you. You got to pick one. Uh, does Mike Bullenholzer look like a sad clown who is having trouble removing all of his makeup? Or does Mike Bullenholzer look like the guy who loses his job but continues to get up and go to work every morning because he's afraid to tell his wife that he lost his job? <laughs> I'm going with number two. <laughs> he's probably doing that now. He's like, all right, honey, I got to go to, you know. Oh, look, the, the second round's on. All right, got to go to uh, catch a flight to Boston. I'll see working you, late see tonight. You in a couple days. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the cable's still out. You know, don't worry about uh, watching the game. I'll, I'll call uh, I'll call Larry. I'll, he'll come in and fix it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so before we wrap up, Giannis is coming up on the final year of his contract with the Milwaukee Bucks. He's going to be turning 30 uh, next year. Or I'm sorry, in uh, the 24-25 season. So he's got 30. two more seasons, I know, right? And then he's got a player option. So based on everything we've seen in how Milwaukee has built a contender around him, obviously they won a championship. They uh, are were the number one seed a few times, but they've cheaped out as well. You know, they didn't re-sign P.J. Tucker and made a couple moves here and there just to not pay the luxury tax, which is a whole other conversation entirely. But based on everything that we've seen from him, from what he's done, from what he said, what's what's next for Giannis? What comes next for you know this kind of enigma that we have in the NBA? Oh man, what a sports radio question! Next in sixty seconds, who's trading for Giannis? I don't know, no idea. And he could be one of those guys that's just loyal to the soil and will stay in Milwaukee regardless of how incompetent or not incompetent they are. Uh, and he could, there, he could, his agent could throw it out there that, you know, what's what's on the market? And of course, someone will empty their, every, all of their assets to take him. Uh, New York, Miami, et cetera, will will make a run at him. So it would be, you know, he's a top twenty-five player of all time, probably top thirty player of all time, given just sure. how prolific he was. One postseason can say, look, he's better than this many players. When you can do that. You're better than the, when you're mentioned in the same breath as six other guys. There's not much like you're better than a lot of other guys that have ever played the game just off of the reputation alone from that performance. So these guys like Kevin Durant, right, recently getting traded here in, in 2023. These guys don't become available very often. So if he is, that would be uh, very exciting, and uh, I can't really – I'm not good at predictions. I try not to do them too often. <laughs> sure. No idea, but that would be incredible. Yeah, I wasn't trying to spring like a hot take question on you. Uh, you know, that, like you said, it's not a radio question <laughs> where we'll tease it over a commercial break. Um, you know, I, I think that, again, we're not in the business of predictions. This is mostly a sports history podcast, so we talk about the past and how things would have changed. But I think that he does stay put – in uh, in Milwaukee, I think his legacy matters to him in a different sort of way. I don't think he's like the ring chasing type where he, I think from comments like this, from comments he's made in the past about all the things he's overcome, 
I don't think he he will let himself be defined by the amount of championships he's won or his success on the court. But at the same time, I do think that he will use some of that leverage that he has to get Milwaukee to spend. And I know things are going to be radically different in the NBA with these new rules about you know, the different aprons and the tax and all that. So I think we'll see a lot more player movement, even more than we have now. And I think he's going to be – it's going to be a premier destination for some of these maybe not top 10, top 15 guys, but guys that are just outside that range that can help swing a title. And I think he'll use some of his leverage to bring guys to him because that's almost become like his identity, right? Is like I'm the guy that won a title on my – not on my own, but on his own in a way, right? So. I'll tell you what, though, if he does decide to leave, he sure as shit will go to a place that will promise that there won't be any failure happening around there. I can think of a few places that that fit that bill. You know, if he's going to go <laughs> in the east, it's got to be like a Miami type. Uh, I mean, it'd be kind of funny if he goes to Miami, but uh, or Golden State. Why the hell not? Uh, that's just my selfish take. <laughs> anyway, that's that's it for the podcast. Thank you, everyone, for checking us out. Please make sure to leave us a review. And you can find us, again, anywhere you find your podcast. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a, a rating. You can find us on just about all these social media platforms as well, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, at 4040VisionPod. We're experimenting a little bit with YouTube as well, so you can find us there too. Thanks, Osama. Appreciate your time, man. Of course. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.